Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be accredited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, keep your Bibles open. We're going to work our way through these verses and it'll be good for you if you can follow as we do that uh, and as we unpack them together. Uh, it seems to me that everyone I meet seems to have this food that they used to love. Uh, it was something that they used to really enjoy, but now they can't eat because at some point in their life, they have completely overindulged on it. They've just ruined the food forever by eating way too much. Um, I don't know what it is for you. For me, uh, it's Turkish delight. Um, and not the vile stuff that Cadbury puts in their blocks. Um, apologies to the two people in the world who like that stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm talking about the real stuff. You know, the, the stuff that comes in chunks uh, that you buy from obscure grocery shops. It's covered in, like, corn flour. You know, the, the, real, the real Turkish delight. Um, as, a, as a kid, I'd always, I'd always craved it. I'd always wanted it. I think it's because I read, the, you know, The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, and Edmund wants... Turkish delight, like that's his dream food, and I thought, it must be amazing, I want it too. Anyway, we're in Western Sydney, and we passed uh, a, a row of shops, and they were selling Turkish delight, and genuine Turkish delight from, you know, I don't think a Turkish shop, but a Middle Eastern shop at, at least. And so there was our opportunity, so we bought a big box of Turkish delight, and as we kept walking and shopping down this street, uh, I ate the Turkish delight. And yes, I don't know if it was as good as Edmund thought it was, but I thought it was pretty good, and so I ate some. And I ate some more, uh, and then I ate some more, and pretty soon we had an empty box of Turkish Delight. And you know, you, you get to that point, it's kind of a few minutes after you stop eating, and then this thought crosses your mind, that may have been a mistake. <laughs> eating a whole box of Turkish Delight may not have been the best choice. I don't know if I threw up, I can't remember that, but it, it was awful. I remember just feeling so crook that night, not eating any dinner, just my stomach churning all evening. And, and, and now it, my, my aversion is so strong, even as I'm telling this story, my stomach feels awful because the thought of this stuff, let alone the sight or the smell of it, it, it just it still triggers me. How weird are we? <laughs> like, how weird are we that we do these sorts of things to ourselves? We take these good things, we take these things that we like, uh, and we, we overindulge, we binge on them, we go crazy on them uh, until we start to hate them. <laughs> 
Like, we're messed up, aren't we? That's weird behaviour. Now, I think there's a drive there. There's There's an impulse in us that is one of the reasons why we struggle with what Paul's talking about in this letter, Uh, and in this passage in particular, it's one of the reasons why we struggle with this idea of being content or having contentment in life. We are are so conditioned for more. When we have something good, we're conditioned to have more of that thing and want more and get more and and have more, um, even to the point of ruining things for ourselves in our striving for more. And that's where this passage is so important because... Paul corrects that drive here and he he helps us in it. He helps us to address it well, to to find a way to be able to say enough and be content with whatever life brings. But he also helps us find the place where more is good and when continuing to strive and to seek for more is actually a really healthy thing. He, He weighs these two things up next to each other, being contented and continuing to seek for more. And he does so in a really positive and healthy way. How does he do it? Well, that's what we're going to find out as we work through these verses this morning. Now, if you've been following along through the book of Philippians, you'll know that one of the underlying reasons which has kind of prompted Paul to write to this church again is uh, thankfulness for a gift that they've given to him. Uh, Probably a gift of money that they have sent with their messenger Epaphroditus, you know, the couple hundred kilometres or so to Rome, to support Paul in his work. It's, it's their way of being able to partner with him in gospel ministry by distance. Now, it's taken to the end of the letter for him to say it uh, thanks explicitly, but now he does. And look what he says there in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you'd had no opportunity to show it. Um, the English makes it sound a little odd. It makes it sound like he's saying, you know, finally, you actually got, got around to sending me money. That's not really the thought. <laughs> he's not kind of exasperated, saying at least you've finally got around to it. Uh, he's sympathising. He's saying, I know you've wanted to do this for ages, and I'm just so glad that finally the opportunities come up where you could uh, do this and, and help me in this way. There's been a delay on their gift, but that delay hasn't been a stress for Paul. He wasn't depending on that money getting to him. That's what he he goes on to say. Look at verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, Paul is really glad for this gift that's been sent to him. He's he's very thankful for it, but he wasn't hanging on it. (laughs) It's not as if he's waiting, saying, I can't wait till that money gets here because, man, I'm getting real hungry. That's, That's not how he's thinking, is it? He says, it's good, I'm glad for it, but I didn't need it. I'm not depending on it because I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content when I've got nothing, I've learned to be content when I've got lots, when things are good, when things are bad, when I'm in poverty, when I'm in riches. In all of these circumstances, I've learned simply to be content through them. Regardless of what life brings, I can be satisfied. That's a remarkable thing to say, isn't it? (laughs) Don't miss just how 
astonishing it is to be able to say that. How on earth is it possible? Because, you know, Paul, when you read of his life, he has really met some times of need. You know, there's been awfully difficult situations in his life. How is it possible to be content there? Well, he tells us, doesn't he? <laughs> he says it's right, it's right there. I've learned the secret. It's, it's, um, it's a saying. It's like, you know, I've, I've learned the trick of it. I've learned the knack of being content. What is the secret? What is the knack of it? Well, it's there in verse 13. Contentment, all of this, I can have it through him who gives me strength. Through him who gives me strength. It's not as if there's a 10-step program to contentment that you can pick up off the shelf and learn. Uh, it's not as if it's through either rejecting all worldly wealth uh, or having uh, all worldly wealth. The secret to contentment is the one who gives me strength. It's through God. That's, that's the trick of it here. Uh, it's a bit like playing golf. Now, I am not a noted golfer. Uh, when I swing the club, most of the time it hits the ball. Uh, and when I hit the ball, some of the time it goes where I want it to go. So I'm not very good at golf, but I do get a little bit of golf. I've been taught. I've had a, I had a golf lesson 20 years ago. Uh, <laughs> now, obviously, obviously, the point of golf, uh, point of golf, little ball, little hole, long distance between the two, get the little ball in the little hole. You get that much. It's pretty simple. Uh, and you do it with a club. You don't throw it. You know, I've learned that as well. Now, you might think, since the point is to get the little ball in the little hole, that's quite challenging. So you want to look at the little hole. You want to keep your eyes there so that the ball will get there. That's kind of how the principle works and a whole bunch of other things. So that, that's how you would do it in golf as well. Look at the hole and the ball will get there. Not so. Um, try it next time you're playing golf. Look at the hole and try and hit the ball. <laughs> You'll find it fairly challenging, I, I imagine, unless you're some sort of prodigy. Instead, if you want to get the ball in the hole, look at the hole and then look at the ball. And keep your eyes on the ball as you hit it. And look at the ball. Even after you've hit it, keep looking at the ball. That's the trick. And Paul's saying it's the same with contentment. The trick with being content, the trick with being content in, in life, whatever the circumstances of life are, is not looking at contentment. It's not chasing being content. That doesn't work. You can't grab it. You can't get it somehow. The trick is, look at God. Rest on God. Fix your eyes on God. He is the path to contentment. He is the trick. His strength makes it possible. So stick with him. That's the trick here. Don't misunderstand Philippians 4 verse 13. Um, it, it, it's like one of those verses that just finds itself ripped out of its context so often. You know, it's on coffee mugs and calendars and athletes' shoes and they, you know, they paint it under their eyes in American football. Don't do that. That's not how this verse works. It belongs here for a reason. God is not promising strength for your every endeavor. That's not what this verse is saying. I can do all things. No, that's not what it's saying. You cannot do everything through the God who gives you strength, but you can be content through the God who brings you strength in anything, in everything, whatever life brings. Because contentment at the end of the day, it doesn't come from self. It's not something that you well up within yourself, you know, you adjust your mindset and then all of a sudden you have this contentment, this satisfaction in life. Uh, that's not how it works. Um, contentment doesn't come from others. 
It's not as if you surround yourself with the right people and then you'll find contentment in and of yourself. Contentment comes through God alone. His strength is the key here. Whatever life brings. And when we think about it, that's, that's exactly what we've seen all throughout Philippians, isn't it? That's what we've seen through every chapter pervading it all. Um, in Jesus, as we saw at the start of the service, we've seen that God is the great and radical self-giver. He, he's not waiting, he's not withholding, he's not um, you know, sitting back uh, asking us to come to him. He is radically, selflessly giving of himself. And by that we're rescued and saved. We've seen the way his strength works for us and works on our behalf, his, his strength that renews us, that, that shapes our minds and our wills and our actions, his strength that restores us and rescues us, his strength that secures for us resurrection life. I mean, ask yourself at the end of the day, what would you prefer to be the source of your contentment? Would you prefer it to be the world or, or yourself? Or would you prefer it to be him who has done all of that? You don't need anything for your contentment. And you don't need anyone for your contentment. And if you try to find it there, you'll fail. And you'll be left wanting. Because the secret to contentment is God. It's His strength that has worked on our behalf. It is His strength that works in us and continues to work for us and for our sake. And there is satisfaction, there is contentment. As things come and as things go, as people come and people go, as life changes and good seasons come and difficult seasons come, contentment is in him. You will not find satisfaction and contentment horizontally. <laughs> you won't find it in this world. It's not out there. You'll find it vertically in God. And through his strength that he has offered freely on your behalf in Jesus and in him alone. So as Paul's shown us, we don't, we don't need things to be content uh, and we don't need people to be content. But we do need people. <laughs> He doesn't want us to fall into that mistake of thinking we can do everything by ourselves. We need people, we need each other. And we see why that is as he continues through this passage. And um, we've already seen, he says, I, I didn't need the help of you, Philippian church. Um, I wasn't relying on you for, for my well-being and for my life um, because in God I'm content. But I am thankful, he says, for what you've done. Look at, look at how he picks it back up in verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Um, right since this church has received the gospel, they have been generous towards Paul. Not generous because they're really rich. We find out um, in 2 Corinthians that this is a church that's actually quite poor. And yet they've continued to support him. He says, in fact, at one point, they were the only church that was doing that, giving to him so that he can continue in his work, um, partnering with him in gospel ministry in this way. And yet, 
despite their, their quite radical generosity, it's still not the gifts themselves that are on Paul's mind. Look at what he says in verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Uh, the money is good, their gifts are good, but that's not actually what Paul's after. Now, the English is a little obscure. It kind of sounds like he's hoping for a really good bank balance for them. <laughs> now, that's not what he's saying. Um, this, is, this is kind of more literally what it says. Uh, literally, I seek fruit that increases to your account or on your behalf. I'm looking for fruit in you. Money is great, but it's what it represents. It's gospel fruit being born in your lives. That's what I'm really after. <laughs> That's what I'm seeking. See, there's the balance. We are perfectly content in God, materially, in any and every circumstance. Utterly contented. And yet, insatiably seeking for gospel fruit, for more fruit to be born, for, for, for gospel growth to be evidenced in ourselves and in one another. That's the balance here. Materially content, spiritually seeking for more. Um, after all, it's what Paul prayed at the start of the letter, isn't it? If you cast your mind back months and months to chapter 1, uh, verse 11, this is what he prayed, that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And that's still what he's after here, isn't it? That's still what he's talking about. More gospel-shaped fruit that comes because of your belief in Jesus. That's what I want to see in you. You know, money is great, but that's what we're after. Gospel-shaped fruit. You can never have enough of that. That's what Paul's saying. Uh, some of you will know this. Some of you uh, know that I grew up on a market garden. Uh, that Dad was a farmer. We, we grew tomatoes. Um, mostly we grew a few other things on the side. Um, but that was my life for 20-odd years of, of growing up. Uh, it wasn't a big farm, um, but Dad worked it hard. Uh, and he, he got the most out of it. He, you know, he got good quantities of produce and really good quality produce. But that was quite a while ago. Uh, not long after we got married, Dad sold the farm. And he had to make quite an unusual transition, a transition from being a market gardener to a home gardener. <laughs> now, you might not think that that's a terribly complicated thing, but let me tell you, it is. Uh, it's been an interesting journey because in Dad, there is this drive for more <laughs> when it comes to vegetables. Your veggie garden has to be bigger and it has to produce better and it must produce the most. You know, it's only mum and dad at home, but it's not just let's plant a couple of these and a couple of these and then we've got enough for the two of us and maybe, you know, a little bit to give away when we need to. It's plant dozens of this and hundreds of... The you should have seen the first time we planted onions. Like, we had onions out of our ears for years and years. It was absolutely ridiculous. Let's have carrots. Okay, let's have 20 metres of carrots, you know, planted like this wide because everyone loves carrots. Beetroot, I don't... No one even likes beetroot. Dad likes beetroot. Like, that, that, that's how he works. That was his life. His life was, let's grow more, let's grow better. And that's, how, that's what he brings to home gardening. He just can't shake that. And neither can the Apostle Paul. He just can't shake this drive for more. Yes, content materially, but striving and seeking for more and more gospel fruit. That's how his life weighs up in the end. 
These are his priorities. Content materially and seeking spiritually. That's how he orders his life. And the question for us is, is that how we order ours? Content materially and seeking spiritually? I worry that we flip those two around. That we turn it into being content spiritually and seeking materially. There's a, there's a real danger there, isn't there? That's, that's kind of how we gravitate. I'm at rest. I'm happy with where, where I'm at Christian, in, you know, in terms of my Christian life. I'm content there. And so I just seek for, for a better life, for more, for different But how little does that fit with what Paul's painted throughout this letter of, of the Jesus that we follow? Jesus the self-giver. Jesus the self-sacrificer who didn't seek for himself but gave himself up. Jesus who calls us to follow, to come after with everything that we are, wherever and however we are, and in that to bear fruit for him. Fruit for his sake. For the glory of him who rules, at whose name every knee will bow. That's what Paul says, isn't it? Look at verse 18. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He has given his entirety for us self-giving for the sake of sinners like you that we would be saved and in giving back and in bearing gospel fruit for his name we have this opportunity to reflect to him his self-giving to to make a sacrifice that is pleasing to him for his glory for his praise is that what you're seeking out more gospel fruit to be born that he would be praised and pleased and glorified are you content to trust him materially whatever the circumstances of life that come your way so that you can be free to seek more and more spiritual fruit for him we've seen throughout this letter how gospel fruit is born it's it's born as we grow in Jesus it's born as we serve selflessly for his name as we give ourselves not putting ourselves first but putting others first and others needs ahead of ours that's what we're to seek in ourselves that's what we're to seek in others too that you see that in Paul's priorities don't you that's what I want in you that I want I want you to grow I'll be content with where you're at where, where you're at is good but let's grow further let's strive for more We've worked through the, the Vine Project as a church. We've, the language of the Vine Project is, uh, you know, moving to the right. That is growing in, in maturity by, by, as you follow Jesus, increasing in him. But, but not only in yourself, but helping others to move to the right as well and others to, to grow in their following of Jesus. Uh, and the, the whole point of that, that, that we would be a church community that isn't just a church community that likes spending time with one another, that, that is, isn't just close to one another, but a church that's growing more and is more fruitful because of each other. So let's ask, what are you doing 
to grow others so that they can bear more fruit for Jesus? Where are you seeking to see more fruit in them for God's glory? In your families, there's opportunities there uh, to disciple, whether it be your kids or your grandkids or your nephews and nieces or whoever it would be. There's, there's a chance to grow them there in Jesus and to, to help them come to know him and to grow towards maturity in him. Um, not just by telling them Bible stories, that's, that's good, but by modelling Jesus, modelling a life of following him sacrificially and earnestly and, and growing in him, speaking of that and teaching of that. In our church, who are you growing? Or who are you seeking to grow? And how? And not just talking about the incidental things, you know, I, I look for ways to talk to people more constructively in conversations that pop up. That's, that's good, but, but who are you intentionally investing in? Where are you saying, this is time I'm going to set aside to help this person grow in Jesus? Yes, we are glad for the work he has and is doing in us. When, it, when I look at our church and I see all of you, I see evidence of his work. And it, it's wonderful. And it, it, it's truly magnificent. And the one thing I want is more. <laughs> I want more of that. So thankful for what he has done and so eager to see more. To see each of you growing and learning him better and giving more for his sake, doing more for him, knowing him better. Who are you growing? You don't have to do anything crazy. <laughs> you don't have to invent some radical or out there church-wide program to do this just do it simply you know guys grab a bunch of guys and you know let's you know meet on a friday morning before work and just to pray for half an hour or grab someone you know say look here's a chance maybe there's a time we could find that that meets up during the week we can just sit down and read the bible together half an hour that, that you know we've got half an hour let's find a space let's get together to pray um, you know, very baseline. <laughs> I shouldn't even have to say it. Go to your connect group. It's not just a chance for you to grow, it's a chance for you to grow others and invest in others there. That's what we're about. Investing in each other, partnering with each other in the gospel so that together we are growing in fruit, fruitfulness. Seeking that out, eagerly <laughs> seeking that out for his glory, for his praise. The equation at the end of the day is simple. God's strength enables us to be content whatever life brings. His life-giving, eternity-ensuring strength is ours. What more do you need? And that strength that is ours frees us to seek growth in him, to be materially content and spiritually striving earnest to grow and earnest to see others grow as well so that in all things across the board he is praised and he receives the glory let's pray that that would happen let me lead you as we do that heavenly father we give you thanks for your grace that you have lavished upon us we give you thanks for your strength that you have promised to us that even now is working in each of your people. Your strength that forgives, that gives life, 
that secures eternity with you, your strength that is constant and dependable and with us, regardless of what life brings. Father, help us to trust you and in your strength think less about what we need or what we want, but instead be content with where we are. Father, help us to be content materially, but help us <coughs> to be seeking spiritually, that we would be a people eager for growth, eager to bear more fruit, that it would multiply in us to your glory and your praise. Father, grow us and help us to be a people that grow each other, who are investing in one another, that we would bear more fruit to your praise, that you would be glorified in us. Lord, give us wisdom to seek out opportunities to do this. Give us eyes to see chances and people whom we could work with so that through us and through your power working in us, you would be praised. We ask this in Jesus, our Saviour's name. Amen. The next song is going to reflect uh, that satisfaction that we have in Jesus uh, and that desire that we have for Jesus in all things. So I'm